0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster, Dear Monster. I'm your host, Matt, and as always, I am joined by, to my left, he puts the tash in moustache. It's Dave. How are you, sir? (laughs) I'm I'm doing good. (laughs) I I had heard that, that you put the tash in moustache. Oh my God. It's it's an internet rumour. And of course, it's not. We've we've seen the pictures on Twitter. The Mm. camera never lies. And to my right, as always, he puts the master in Dungeon Master. It's Cameron. Hello uh, (laughs) again. I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Glad to hear it. But because this is a very special episode, we've had to draft in reinforcements for this one. Okay. You may know him from the Dark Insight podcast. He's 50% solid snake. He's 98% beard. But he's 100% gentleman. It's Josh Crow. How you doing, mate?
1: <laughs> yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. That's that's quite an intro. Yeah, I, I, yeah.
0: Like like, actually, we we don't you do don't things
1: by prefer. halves here. Yeah. yeah I must I must <laughs> <that>. I'm <laughs> have to put that on my on my business card when I actually get around to making business cards. <laughs> yeah. So you get an interview and they go, "So you're 98 percent beard? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it came like, well, <laughs> it's like well, you know, they said that most of the body is made up of water. Well, mine isn't. All right. <laughs> 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 So, is Morbid your middle name? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think if I find that's my Christian name actually. That's,
0: that's my <laughs> God-given name.
2: <laughs> absolutely, mate,
0: absolutely. Well, glad uh, you can join us on this one. Um, yeah, before a problem, we, man. Before we crack on with the rest of it, um, what um, got you into monsters in general? What you know, are you a proper monster lover? I think that sounds a bit weird. Um. Yeah. Well, so the Monsters are one
1: of those things where. It's, there's so many ways to perceive monsters. And I find that the as we've gone on through um, films and books and TV and everything, the, the way that we can actually convey monsters through media has become increasingly interesting. So you can have your typical monster that's just kind of lurks in the shadows and, you know, constantly watching you. But then you can have a monster that is more of a concept as well. Um, and it's sort of presented more as an ideology that manifest itself in a certain way um, but I mean said for me personally it would just be the monsters that I saw in films when I was a kid and, you know, watching films I was way too young to be watching I mean, we're, we're all guilty of it, we're all guilty of it Absolutely. Um, but I mean said I was, I came to horror films quite early in my life and I've never really been one to get terrified of people like uh, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and all that, that was never really scary to me, I was always more interested in stuff like Leatherface and I was considered him to be a kind of a monster because he's just this oppressive force that's, Mm. you know, he's very unpredictable kind of, you know, sort of elements of schizophrenia in there and whatnot. So that was always more the monster that stuck with me when I was a kid and sort of growing up. And then when I grew up and got more into kind of sort of Kaiju movies and Godzilla and got to Mm. appreciate, appreciate all of that sort of stuff. Um, but so yeah, that I'm always open to a different interpretation of monsters and and how they can, like I said previously, just be like a concept or an actual physical being that, that prowls and stalks a person or or whatever. So it's it's been one of those things I've I always come back to it as just. It kind of feels like a cozy thing. As weird as that is to say, monsters are kind of a cozy thing just because I've learned to just embrace it and just I find no terror in it anymore. I just find it more <laughs> awesome to watch. You know, cause it, I mean, I, I watch horror films and it takes a lot to scare me. So I often watch yeah. these things and think they're awesome um, rather than actually scary. But then I'm also the kind of guy I watch the Human Centipede films as a documentary, so you know I'm, you know I'm, I'm that oh. kind of guy. So you know, oh. you know, and I I will defend those films like there's no tomorrow. Seriously, I absolutely love mm-hmm. those films. Um, <laughs> but so that's just that's me, and uh, I find that kind of the monster that I embrace more nowadays is kind of the monster of just true human terror in all its forms it's like so some of the stuff that i've been reading about this week and because i've been this week in particular i've got into like proper like norwegian black metal stuff and all the, <laughs> the there is there is so much stuff surrounding that and most of it's just rubbish it just it's kids just getting ideas above their station but some of the stuff that's that's come out of that some of the music and whatnot it is quite monstrous music and you can kind of if you're in the right state of mind actually sort of perceive that in your own imagination and stuff maybe that's just me i don't know but so you know it's i it's more of the kind of like the human terror the human element that's the kind of monster that really piques my interest these days but i'm always open to a good monster movie as well monster. but uh, yeah excellent yeah.
0: do you have a particular favorite monster putting you on the spot it
1: could be godzilla uh,
0: yeah, enough,
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a safe safe answer, but it's you know it's I do I do love Godzilla. Um, not the 1998 Godzilla. <laughs> when, no, when,
3: no one loves no, Godzilla. No,
1: no, we don't we don't talk about that unless we're talking about the soundtrack. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but it's in Godzilla, is always it's a safe answer, but it's one that it's just I just love him and this whole mysterious figure and that's one thing that kind of irked me about the was it the 2015 Godzilla mm. is everybody was saying oh and you know he's barely in it and everything's so, well he's, he's supposed to be a mystery you know he's supposed to be this dark mysterious figure that just comes out from the sea when he feels he's needed really so you know I don't if there was two and a half hours of just purely Godzilla I would be bored by the end of it so I like the mystery <laughs> and the intrigue of it you know but, yeah, so Godzilla's got to be mine. Have you seen uh, Shin Godzilla yet? I haven't. I did. I oh. bought it um, at Comic-Con on Blu-ray, and the guy who sold it to me told me that it's Region A, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I've got a PlayStation it plays anything, because I've got other Region A stuff, and it works fine. But that, mm. for some reason, didn't want to work, so I've actually oh, got... Oh. So I was planning on sitting down and watching it, but it didn't want to work. So I haven't oh, got around to that, really that yet. It, it, come, yeah. it comes
0: out on official release here in the UK in December.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've been <laughs> eyeing it up on Amazon and whatnot, but I kind of wanted to watch it before then. So I could just be one of those filthy hipsters that I saw it before I came out in this country, <laughs> you know, but oh. so yeah, but I might have to wait if I can't figure out a way to watch it. I might just have to wait and, until that release, but yeah. It's definitely on the watch list for sure.
0: Excellent. (coughs) Excellent. Well, you passed your interview, Josh. Well done. That was a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, before we start the main bulk of the episode, uh, I've got a very important question to ask you all individually. Uh, Mm. Dave, uh, are you ready? Yes. Uh, Cameron, are you ready? Almost definitely. Excellent. Uh, Josh, I know you're excited, but are you ready? I was born ready, mate. Good answer. Well, if we're all ready, then it must be time for Monster Dear Monster Presents, Yokai of the Week. (laughs) Yes, it's that time again. So, for people unfamiliar with a Yokai of the Week, I don't know how you can be unfamiliar with it. It's it's only been going two weeks, but um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, so for people not in the know, um, we've got a list of about 100 or so Yokai, and we're going to roll. Uh, a die and talk about random yokai Uh, this week we're going to be covering the letters c d and e because there's not many in those categories so you know we're munching them together we're thinking on our feet here um so with that dave roll them
3: (laughs) ah it's a seven
0: ah seven all right all right so what we got.
3: That is the Dodomeki.
0: The Hundred Eyed Demon. Demon. Ah. So what's the what's it all about, Dave? Uh, I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he head? has a hundred eyes. Uh, uh, she. She,
3: gee, she oh yes. Oh look. It is it is a woman. There we so go. this is a, a Japanese yokai that's depicted as a human woman. Uh, who, well, I guess there's more than one of them, uh, who are cursed with having long arms covered with hundreds of bird eyes due to their habit of stealing money. Uh, Maybe it's conflated with like a magpie or something? Mm. Yeah, Uh, uh, steal money? Yeah. (laughs) Um,
4: Let's see. They were first described by an 18th century scholar, Toriyama Sekien. Uh, The long arms reflect the Japanese belief that a person with long arms has a tendency to steal, and the bird eyes are a reference to a Japanese dosen, a copper coin with a hole in the middle that's commonly known as the chomoku or the bird's eye. Mm. Oh, no, no.
3: That makes sense. So she's just,
4: just got a bunch of money all over her thief farms. <laughs> <laughs> money over her thief arms. <laughs> uh, that, that's, what, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm reading from this article.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, and you can see in the pop culture, it appears in the shin... Megami Tensei franchise. Oh, really? that's, that's connected to Persona, isn't it? My... Uh, yeah, yes. Persona yeah. is
4: yeah. sort of an. It's complicated. Yeah. I've got to get into that. That's as another show. show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Different podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there we go. So we go. A new interesting yokai for everyone. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. quite. Actually, looking at the um, pictures online, yeah, it's quite quite evil looking, actually. it's Because sort of, it, if you sort of take a double take, it's almost like she looks like she's sores all over her body and they um but then mm. when i said on closer inspection it's size there's some actually some really nice uh well i'm guessing it's uh some artist impressions <laughs> not, not no. photographs um no. yeah no ah, excellent no. there we go so nice. that was yokai of the week right <laughs> on to the main bit of the show <laughs> see josh i know you'd be glad to come on the show we, we, we keep it fresh here Man, um nice. <laughs> But the reason you're on the show is because we're covering The Thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is going to be a juicy one. I think this is yeah. a, going to be mm-hmm. a very popular one. So, oh, yeah. so, yeah, so we'll be covering The, the Thing for this episode. Um, we'll be primarily focusing on the 1982 version, but obviously we will make reference to the prequel from 2011. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think some of us maybe have read the uh, the novel it's based on. And it's yeah. a com- and such like so you know we'll we'll add it together but like i said primary focus will be the the 1982 version um so dave as our resident wiki wizard do you want to give us a little bit of what the wiki says on the thing on the
3: thing so uh this was as you said um released in 1982 it's a film by the the great director uh, john carpenter Mm -hmm. and stars everybody's favorite kurt russell Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, before we go into the real meat of it, I would sort of see what how you guys have uh, fared with your uh, background on it. Um, So, well, Dave, while you're talking, do you want to sort of give us your background, like when you first watched it and what you've read and seen, etc.?
3: Oh man, Um, when I first watched this one. couple years um after it came out probably 86 or so uh is when i think i would have seen it so i was like five years old <laughs> wow <laughs> too young to watch this but
1: uh, way too young well Jesus. that's the case
3: with like everything i've seen like alien oh, yeah, yeah the fly yeah I mean, all sure. the classic mm-hmm. stuff <laughs> i was i was a little guy mm. um watching those and uh i guess yeah to, to inform my love of um monster films uh, probably started around that age. So uh, right, out, right out the gate, uh, like me some monster movies. <laughs> but um, yeah, the original uh, novella that this was based on um, came out in 1938. It's uh, entitled Who Goes There? Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it was written by John Campbell uh, under a pen name uh, Don A. Stewart. This, I, I didn't even know it was a thing. I, well, (laughs) no pun intended. Um, (laughs) uh, I just read this yesterday uh, while doing our our research. Oh, it was, I thought it was based off of the uh, the old 50s movie from uh, 51, Mm. but in fact, Mm -hmm. they were both um, adaptations of this earlier novel, and I I gave this a go. It was phenomenal. Oh,
0: wow. The...
3: The John Carpenter film is almost like a direct adaptation from it.
0: uh, Yeah.
3: As opposed to what we'll we'll find, I think, with the uh, 1951. But yeah, it was good. Uh, If you haven't read it, go read it. Mm -hmm. You've already been spoiled by watching uh, the John Carpenter (laughs) version. There's a few differences, and um, we'll we'll dig into that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. my experience with it.
0: Excellent. Uh, How about yourself, Cameron?
4: Uh, I actually came to The Thing fairly recently. I'd always heard of it, but I'd never really gotten around to watching it. And I think uh, Gary and Cole from Bonfireside Chat did an episode on it, if I'm remembering mm. correctly, a year or two back.
2: Yeah.
4: Mm. Uh, and before I listened to that, I went and watched the movie, obviously, and <laughs> I really like it. It's a great film. Um, kind of sad I didn't see it sooner, but, you know, uh, you learn something new every day and you find a new great horror film. Not every day, mm. unfortunately. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And how about yourself, Josh?
1: Uh, this is one I came to, I guess, when I watched this. My memory's quite hazy. I would take a wild stab in the dark here and say when I first watched this, I was about nine or ten. Um, so, again, it was one of those where it utterly terrified me. But is rather than sort of not being able to come back to it, I gained just a kind of a real love for it through that. Um, same with uh, the Alien franchise and everything. I was about the same age when I watched them as well. So it's one of those things where I've just, I've grown up with it and I've grown, as I've grown older and I've grown to actually appreciate the themes that are in the film. I've just, it's become one of my favourite films of all time. And I'm honestly, it is, I mean, watching it last night in preparation for this, it was just you know, just like putting on the jumper that you know you you know and love. You know, I know the film virtually sort of inside out. I've seen it so many times now, and I didn't necessarily need to watch it to actually record this today. But any excuse to watch this film is a good excuse for me, really, because it is a phenomenal film from start to finish. It is aged so well, um, yeah. and yeah. I didn't I didn't actually know about the novella until about I don't know two maybe three years ago um so i picked up the audiobook and listened to that and it, as dave said it is strikingly similar in the film to the actual novella because it was around about the same time i got into uh hp lovecraft and i genuinely thought i mean if you didn't know about the novella you could actually mm. be you know forgiven for thinking that it is an adaptation of at the mountains of madness because it is yeah. so similar to that mm. thematically that yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised that it wasn't based on that, and that it was because I thought maybe it was based on the novella, which was kind of based loosely on At the Mountains of Madness, and that's not the case. But you know, they're just they're all so similar, and they've got so many similar themes in them that it's just yeah, like I said, you'd be forgiven for sort of making that connection. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just it's phenomenal, and this film is it's incredible. It's got a fantastic cast in it. Which we're yep. gonna get into, I uh, I expect. And the soundtrack is just is brilliant as well. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. And it is is one of my all-time favorites and it always will be.
0: Excellent. Have you um seen the prequel as well?
1: Yes, I have. Yeah. I didn't uh, get time to watch that in preparation, but I can yeah. you know, I've seen it, so and obviously it directly sort of leads into this one anyway. So all the things that you see in this one, kind of, you get context for them in the previous one, so I can think I can just about remember enough about it. But yes, I have. And I've, I've also played, not to completion, but I have played part of the game that came after it as well, which I, which <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring up later as kind of like wow. a, sort of
0: a conclusion yeah. thing, so, yeah. yeah. That was on PS2, wasn't
1: it? PS2. Yeah, P- PS2, original Xbox, so yeah. I'm actually, I've got it wow. here in front of me now, so, wow.
0: yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, well-rounded, thing mm-hmm. expert yeah right excellent yeah. glad to hear it so um yeah i mean just going on from what you guys are saying um myself i watched the original thing uh similar sort of age i was probably i don't know nine ten years old i used to um when i was younger i used to spend a lot of time at my grandparents house so often i would stay over there say my parents went to a, I know, a party or do of some sort so i'd often go into my uh, grandparents front room and literally just stay there for you know the evening and it was good because they would lead me to my you know it's my own devices really and I could uh literally just watch whatever was on tv so <laughs> I think I came across it accidentally. I think it was on well Josh would know it was on channel four at the time which was uh, they were yep. quite well known for putting these sort of things on really um yep. and it was one of those where you know it was probably about you know nine ten o'clock at night just oh what's this all about mm. uh, and yeah and then I fell in love with it from that really um i must admit on i haven't got around to uh reading the novella yet but that's on my to-do list um mm. i've only recently watched the prequel um mm. which is okay <laughs> yeah. it's a, i mean it's a purpose which is we'll go on to later but yeah mm. you know it's it's a it's not as strong as the as the 1982 version but it's still worth seeing so yeah it's uh, it, it's a funny one actually the thing because it's it's uh, when you sort of see the advertisements for it and the name of it it's one of those sort of films that could you e- could easily pass over um if it didn't have such a, a good reputation it's one of those where it's quite generic you know it's got one of the most generic titles you could ever see and mm. so you know you don't you know it doesn't really you know the title and the you know the the poster you know the theatrical release post doesn't really give much away so it's one of those where you could like i said you could easily pass over it but you're really mm. glad when you realize you know it is a really decent film um actually it's funny i was reading actually that and i don't know if you yourselves have seen it it was actually it didn't do very well actually from a reception point of view when it first mm-hmm. came out it was panned quite a lot by the critics they mm-hmm. said it they sort of put it across as a bit of a, a you know a needless gore fest uh, unfortunately it came out the same day as blade runner yeah which i uh, yeah, was actually well, which... not going to do it any justice whatsoever <laughs>
4: exactly and yeah. it also came out 2 weeks after et yeah which um exactly yeah very yeah. different alien
0: movie <laughs> exactly so it, it it's one of those where it it was a bit of a slow burner you know it got it got off to a quite you know relatively poor start but but like we've said like we said to earlier it's aged exceptionally well actually considering you know it's now what 25 years old um, um no 35 years old um, yeah. uh, wow, well, thirty-five years old. I'm <laughs> ageing, ageing myself, mate. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of us. Um, but yeah, it's it's it is a real solid film. Um, so yeah, so the, the you know the basic premise of for people that haven't seen it or can't remember what it's about, uh, the basic premise of it is uh, an alien ship crashes to Earth mm-hmm. approximately a hundred thousand years BC. Um, mm-hmm thousand years ago and uh crashes to earth and then it comes back to 1982 um in alaska not alaska antarctica mm-hmm. uh where you've got uh, an american science team base uh who uh come across uh the spaceship and the well and what turns out to be the thing as well via the nor is a norwegian yes. base mm-hmm. nearby isn't it so yeah uh, through that so yeah it's uh it's it all i mean, won't go through it scene by scene but we'll sort of get a general you know vibe of it i mean the it starts off very strong um oh, you know, it starts- it's <laughs> phenomenal yeah. yeah go for it josh go on i can feel the passion coming through there yeah um
1: <laughs> well i mean so when i watched it last night i was just instantly fell in love with it all over again it's got one of the the strongest opening scenes to a film i've ever seen because mm. for those who aren't familiar with it the scene, the scene that opens the film is you just—you see a dog running through the snow and then you see this helicopter chasing after the dog and it becomes apparent that the people in the helicopter are trying to shoot the dog. And for the audience lacking any context whatsoever, you just think that they're trying to just kill a dog, you know, because yeah. you, you're none the wiser at this point. And because these are presumably the North Norwegians, they know exactly what this dog is and so they're trying to eradicate it and so that theme is kind of carried on through as the film goes on the f- the theme of just trying to eradicate this particular thing to stop it from reaching further civilization so that's what they're trying to do but it just you kind of you feel sorry for the dog because they're trying to kill it but then as the film goes on you realize that there is a reason why they were trying to kill it but it's just to get, to just throw a curveball at the audience straight off the bat is mm-hmm. incredible. And it's it's great to to watch it, especially with the, the music in the background as well, because mm. the music all the way through the film is so minimalist, but it just yeah. gives you the tension that you need that gets the cogs working in your head to just think, what is going on here? Why are they trying to kill this dog? Why are they so feverishly trying to kill it as well? It's not just, you know oh, well, whatever. It's, they are intent on killing this thing. So it's, yeah, it is incredible. And mm-hmm. as soon as that scene came up, I just had a big grin on my face. And again, <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is, this is just cinematic glory. Yeah. It
0: is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because like, yeah. like you said, there's no real context for it at that time. So mm-hmm. you just, you, you, you know, you instantly take dislike towards the helicopter pilot and the, mm-hmm. and the guy with the rifle. And it's funny because you you think you, there's lots of things going through your mind at that point. You're thinking, are they just chasing it for sport? Are they just being yeah. cruel? And mm. then because obviously, like you said, they they're, te- they're chasing it with such intent that you're mm-hmm. thinking, what, why, what, what, yeah. what is the dog going to do? You know, it's only a, you know, it's only a, a a dog at the end of the day. What yeah. you know, it's what, what's it going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not it, it's not going to cause any problems. It's but well, it will. But it's mm. uh, you know, at that stage, you don't really know that. And and like you said, just before that bit where you see the spaceship um, Mm crashing to earth. I think one of my favourite bits, and you see it slightly in the pre. Well, you see it in the prequel as well, where the the logo for the thing comes up on the screen. It's almost burns into the screen. It's, it's mm. uh, you know, you instantly know straight away it's going to be a fabulous start at that
1: point. Oh yeah, um, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's got real alien vibes. with this the yeah. logo actually just coming up bit by bit, and it's yeah. Oh, it's so good,
0: <laughs> so good. <laughs> Love this film so much. See, this is why we got you on, Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. What do you think, Cameron, the start?
4: Um, I honestly think it might be better without the shot of the alien ship, but otherwise mm. I really mm. do like the alien. Uh, I mean, it makes things like super obvious. Mm. <laughs> it, it gets rid of just a little bit of the suspense at the start of the film and that's fine. And I understand it helps to give context in the long run so people don't get confused right off the bat. Mm. Uh, but I like that this movie tells you immediately that this movie hates dogs. And if you're not <laughs> up for that, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. you should probably
4: maybe not watch this movie. Incidentally, if you love dogs and you don't like seeing dogs get hurt, don't watch this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. it, it is
4: horrible. It is not friendly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, friendly. Yeah. I do really love this opening scene as well. It's great because it seems really weird. Like, you know, there's two guys flying a helicopter, one of them shooting at a dog. Just running across the you know open snowfields, and then it gets weirder because they start dropping grenades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't,
2: don't yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: just a, a, quick, a quick shout out to the the Norwegian guy who actually thumbs the grenade right next to him, and, goes, ah! and then tries to save it, but It blows him up.
4: <laughs> yeah, he tried fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that always cracks me up when I see it. it just kills me. Yeah, what, yeah. What do you what do
3: you
0: think about it, Dave?
3: Uh, no, it's great. It has the same um, opening as uh, like Predator, which came out mm-hmm. a few, few years mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. Critters, sort of. Um, so yeah. it's right in line with that '80s vibe of you know show the thing but not actually show you know mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's good because the whole the whole film is that you know that slow burn. I mean, it starts going. Mm. But, um, Mm. you're not, uh, you know, you're not shown it right out the gate.
2: You,
3: Mm. you get time to sit there and wonder what's going on. And I I think to the viewer, this gives, um, as much as it can, that, that sense of isolation that these men are dealing with,
2: um, out in the
3: middle of nowhere, literally.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. We're a thousand miles from nowhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it and it just completely disrupts the equilibrium of their, you know, where they are. Like you said, they're in a very remote location, very isolated, mm. lonely. You know, you see that bit with um, Kurt Russell, Mac or Creed, as he's called in the film, where mm. he, you know, he he loses to the uh, chess computer and he <laughs> kills it with his scotch. And oh, uh, You know, it, it's, yeah. you know, there's always, it's amusing little moments, but it just shows that you know they're just they're so isolated out there. So mm. this is all sort of really disrupting you know, the the reason why they're there. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. And it, you know, it, and it also invokes a lot of um, that time. And, uh, you know, we're going back to the, the situation with the dog, because obviously this is a film that does have to play into a lot of human emotion, especially paranoia, which obviously becomes a very prominent thing later in mm-hmm. the film. So they, oh, yeah. I think it's another way of sort of slightly shaking it up almost instantly. Like, right. You know, you know, you this is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of you, you know, so yeah. let's, let's start straight away, you know, with making it that way. So, no, it's a it's a it's a fantastic start. Um and you know, like I said, the bit with the grenade is hilarious and you know, <laughs> he, I mean it doesn't it doesn't have that many silly moments in it. It's you know, it is generally uh, quite a serious film, mm-hmm. which is yeah. probably a good thing in the end. But yeah, yeah, you know, he's still not frightened to have those, you know, those silly moments. I mean it but it also it shows actually the 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 emotions going through the Norwegian sniper at that point because obviously he you know the fact he's you know shooting through the uh, the guys at the base to try and hit the dog, mm. you know, the, you know he shoots mm-hmm. one of them in the leg, and you know it just shows how desperate, forgetting that there's innocent people right in his way, and he's mm. so <laughs> desperate to kill this dog, which again adds a lot of intrigue, uh, bit. You know, yeah, right. So it's um, yeah, it's a very powerful, uh, start, and then you know, like like you imagine it, it gets to the point where you're starting to see all the various characters, and it's quite good actually. We'll, we'll brief, Briefly talk about the characters because mm. they're very varied mm. in, in their which is again to the film's uh credit that you know there are a bunch of obviously very in some ways very unlikely characters to be bunched together, but at the same time you've got a range obviously you've got the the guys that are used to you know like McCready used to deal in with uh problems and you've got you know a doctor a science a couple of scientists you've got a couple mm-hmm. of you know communications and such like but um from what i read the the when they were actually filming it the, the crew or the actual main cast were actually gone very well and I think that's actually what yeah. led to them actually performing so well as actually as a mm-hmm. collective group um, Yeah, you know it's it's one of those where um I mean for the the, for the guys that have read the novel I I read that the novel because obviously it concentrates more on the the actual creature itself whereas i think mm-hmm. from what i saw john carpenter had to obviously try and invoke a lot more of the human relationships in it mm-hmm. compared to the book is that mm-hmm. is that true to say for the guys that have read it
3: yeah i would say that it, mm. it's it's yeah. short it's a very short um novella so there's mm. not a lot of space to deal with um the characters and there's a lot of them there's yeah. like 37 men at the um uh, magnetic pole expedition um, in the novel uh, versus wow. our, you know, group of 12 people or not less. It's like seven dudes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it doesn't dig as much into this, their psychology. Um, you get maybe five characters. That's probably being generous um, mm-hmm. that have an actual characterization to them uh, versus mm-hmm. this where, yeah, like you said, everyone's, um, well, there's a couple guys in the movie that they they don't really don't give um, they yeah not get a lot of <laughs> screen time um, yeah unfortunately <laughs> probably mm-hmm. uh, to their detriment um, as characters mm-hmm. and as actors.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that the I think uh, the film would benefit that more because obviously the, you've got the paranoia element of it in the film as well, so you've got that added tension of you've got this creature that's roaming around, but then the creature starts to inhabit the people. So then the people subsequently become the monster as well. So there's people, and as we previously mentioned, the fact that they got on well in between sort of filming the scenes and whatnot. And you that comes across in the film as they come across as a very believable unit of people. And that's with films like this that focus on isolation and a group of people, I often find that that film will actually either be good or will suffer depending on how those people interact um, and how believable they seem as a team. So the fact that they actually um, were able to um, get on so well is very reflective in the film to the point where when they start to distrust each other, you are completely with them in terms of, you know, I don't know, who is what and whether this person is actually who who they say they are, especially when you, when you get things in terms of sabotage later on in the film is you're never quite sure who is responsible for it and it toys around with that. So I think that the film, especially with the length that it is, is able to take that and flesh out these characters. I mean, like Dave said, there are some characters who do kind of get pushed to the wayside a little bit, but... I still feel that, despite that, they were able to flesh out enough of the characters to ramp up the tension to the extent where, if you've never seen the film before, your heart will be racing because you're thinking, "Who, who are these people? You know, can I trust this person? <laughs> this person is saying that they didn't do this, but I'm not entirely sure because they're getting so defensive about it." And you know, yeah. and when you get so defensive, you know, people naturally you sort of take that as being, well, you must be guilty if you're getting so defensive. So, (laughs) you know, it just, it really plays with human nature and how it doesn't really take a lot for people to put, you know, distrust in in others. And yeah, I'd say that the film definitely does a better job of that. But so the novella is, I think, primarily supposed to focus on the creature. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's what it's for. That's why I think if it was a full on, Novel, then they could have actually sort of done that, but because it's such a short story, I feel like it, it does focus more on the creature. But
0: that's that's absolutely fine, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, I think that you can definitely see the the bond between them because obviously you've got a situation where, like I said, they're isolated, they're very together because you know there's only so many of them, so you just naturally bond with each other, but then they're mm-hmm. put in a situation like having they're paranoid they're having to second guess each other and you can you even though you don't know them but as a as a viewer you can sort of almost feel the strain there you know where you you know where you spend a lot of time you know when you spend a lot of time with people you naturally get close to them you know from a friendship mm. point of view and you can see where it's starting to unravel and you almost feel sorry for them slightly putting aside the terror that's you know happening to them as well it's the fact that it's straining you know these relationships as well and you, you can i definitely got a vibe of the crew from uh from the first alien film as well i definitely mm-hmm. feel that they've yeah. got that similar sort of you yeah, know, bond where they're, you know, they're they're obviously there to do you know to do you know to do a mission and and such like but you can tell that that as things start you know hitting the fan you know that that starts uh you know you can see who the strong ones are and the weak ones. Are. so um yeah so you yeah, know after we've you've had a bit of character establishment at this point. Um, This is where, you know, it moves on to where you can see the, they go to the Norwegian camp, which plays in nicely to the prequel. Um, So brief for the people that have not seen the prequel, the bait, the -hmm. the purpose of it is to uh, show what obviously happened before uh, this film, but it shows you what happened at the Norwegian camp, i.e. where the helicopter uh, came from at the start of this film. So, when you go, you know, in the, in the main thing movie, when they go back to the Norwegian camp and they, you know, find the spaceship and uh, find the block of ice, which is where the they cut mm-hmm. the creature out. Um, like I said you see, you know, what happened before it. But we'll we'll go to the prequel a bit later. Mm. So um, I think we'll, I think it's best we start talking about the creature. <laughs> this <laughs> is the <laughs> this is the the meaty bit of this. Um, mm. I'll let you guys go first. So uh, Cameron. What's your thoughts on the uh, creature?
4: Uh, I like this creature a lot. I particularly like how it's portrayed throughout the entire film in all its different forms and disguises. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I just want to mention, Josh, you talked about building tension earlier. Mm-hmm. The world's most menacing husky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Everything, yeah. Everything in this film is telling you that this is a horrifically menacing shot of like a serial killer or a horrific monster and it's just a dog walking down a corridor or sitting under a table watching people yep. talk and stuff like that mm-hmm. or you know going to someone's bedroom to hang out and i'm like that is some really good tension there um mm-hmm. i can imagine it would be very confusing if you knew nothing of the film at mm-hmm. all <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um but no it is super cool and interesting um Essentially, the monster's uh, sort of cell-invading, shape-shifting, replicating thing. Thing is a pretty (laughs) good term for it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, no, it it is super interesting. Um, It's done really well because it was, like, 100% practical effects, if I'm remembering correctly, and it's held up so well because of that, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's really, really twisted designs. Um, (laughs) uh, you're you're never going to forget things like the head walking away on spider legs or the
1: so good Mm -hmm. so good
4: or like the flesh cerberus thing where it's trying Mm -hmm. to absorb two dogs and stuff like that yeah or you know just there's that great shot with them in the dog kennels where it grows those two really big midi arms and just pulls them mm-hmm. up into the ceiling. Yeah. Anyway, that really sells. Oh god, this thing is like just turning into whatever it wants.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's it's a truly terrifying creature. I mean, it, it's it, well, we'll go. Well, actually, we'll go into the uh, the background of it shortly. But um, Dave, what do you think of the creature in general?
3: Uh yeah this was like super great. Um I'm as I think I talked about it before many times. Uh I'm like a stickler uh or I guess a sucker really for um practical effects and mm-hmm. that's what this was. Um it, it, they've done a few other films um Recently, there was uh, Harbinger Down, which mm-hmm. tries its best to um mim- uh, to like mimic uh, these uh, effects, and you we mm-hmm. get um this sort of you know stop motion puppetry, and mm-hmm. um, everything is very uh, Cronenbergian, very mm-hmm. fleshy <laughs> and gooey. Um, it's body yeah. horror uh, in its truest sense, um especially when this thing uh can in fact mimic a person or or mm. whatever it really wants and we do see in the film um other uh i guess i wouldn't say non-traditional but non-terrestrial um forms it takes or splits or mm. um, it's not even a single piece i mean any bit of this as we mentioned the the spider head can can be a threat. Uh, or yeah. or look like something else. I mean, we get this sort of mm. a gross amalgam of person, dog, uh, etc., like all in one mass, and it's it's evocative, it's disgusting, and yeah, probably shouldn't have been seen by like a five year old me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. This way, uh, this is where you come out. And... This is the way. You why you ended up the way you are
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, well this is also why i wanted a beard but that's because it was yeah
2: awesome. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um.
0: <laughs> it it's a monster discussion and a therapy session all in one Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Right. right josh Was what's your impressions of the creature
1: uh this creature in particular is absolutely phenomenal um the fact that this is all practical effects, and, so, and like David's was just saying, the fact that we've got more modern films now who try to actually do practical effects. And I often find that for some reason, just the fact that technology has progressed now where we can have prosthetics and stuff look more realistic, it kind of, it's detrimental because you can mm-hmm. kind of tell with these practical effects that, you know, the, the budget that they had... And some mm-hmm. of it, especially when you when you've got the the thing where it's kind of two faces, two faces melded together, it's, it does mm-hmm. in nowadays look kind of cheesy. But I often find that to be kind of a charm to it that that I find kind of helps increase what they're going for with the film. Um, the fact that they were limited, they had limited technology and a limited budget back then means that what they had to offer helps kind of feed into your imagination and help kind of fill it in. So when you see something that in this day and age kind of looks a bit corny, it doesn't matter because it just it is so visceral and it is so raw that you can just feel in the rest with your imagination. And it just, it really speaks to the tone and the vibe that they're actually going for um, to the the bit with the the dog in particular. Um, so Cameron was saying they were sort of establishing attention uh, by the dog just sort of wandering around. And I always take that as being, the dog has been completely taken over by the thing. So it is, it's doing what a dog naturally does by just sort of wandering around because it's a bit restless. But I always mm. take it to be the creature establishing its environment and mm. how many people it has to deal with in what it's eventually trying to achieve. Um, mm. So it is in just acting like a dog, it is just figuring out where it is, um, sort of how many people are there for it to actually take over, and then when they actually they uh, go and put it in with the rest of the dogs, the bit that I find holds a lot of tension in that scene is the bit where the dog first walks in the pen, but it 's the bit when the dog just lies down because it just yeah. kind of sl- it slowly lies down, and it's just it 's that shot when it lies down, you just think something's going on here. Something's <laughs> not quite right. And then he um, he walks dog off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get the, the dog flower bit and Sid, and <laughs> he, he walks off. Um, he's trying to remember. It's Clark, isn't it? The character's Clark. Yeah. He, yeah. he walks off and you can tell that he's, he's clearly got quite an affinity with dogs. You know, and he's quite a dog lover, which is why when they have to end up killing the rest of the dogs, he's very... Um, uh upset. resistant toward that he's very upset yeah. about it because you know he's such a huge dog lover but it needs to be done and it is a horrible scene like like we said <laughs> before if if you're a dog lover as i am you know it's always yeah, a difficult yeah. scene to watch mm. but you know it's just the, it's the fact that it's it's when it lies down and then he walks away and you just hear this kind of this this low mumble coming from it and then you get all the noises. That's one thing I do love as well is the sound design for the creature. Yeah. It's got this, mm. uh, it's hard to describe it in terms of what it sounds like as a comparison, but <laughs> the way that they made it sound is kind of got this, I don't know. It, made, it just makes your skin crawl. And so when you see, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's really <laughs> difficult to actually paint it down as like what you could compare it to. Um, but so that when you see like the, the face split open into four and you've got, you know, mm. the, the skull of the dog underneath it. And when you've got, you know, it's got legs and it's got these sort of tendrils to come out of it and everything. And it, it looks ferocious. Um, <laughs> and when you see it actually sort of attacking the dogs and everything, and when you see it sort of grow its arms and try and escape and, ah, oh, that, that scene is just, it's phenomenal. And so, Dave said earlier the fact that the start of the film is a bit of a slow burner, but once they actually take that dog into the facility, they don't really waste that much time actually getting to the creature. It's only, you know, I'd say probably not even 10 minutes from when the dog initially turns up at the base to when Mm. it, it does its thing in the pen. So they don't really waste your time with it. It's just, you know, they're establishing characters they've got the recreation room where they're you know the people are playing cards and people are playing um like table tennis and everything so you've got this kind of this social environment you get to see the characters in the more social context um and you get sort of a bit more of a feel for their mannerisms and who they are and then they uh, they take the dog and they put it in the pen with the rest of the dogs and then you see them in a sort of in a combat scenario when they're having to combat the creature. Um, and it's, it's incredible to watch. And that's when you really get to see MacReady um, sort of taking charge of the situation because obviously we haven't seen these characters for too much time yet. But this is when you really start to see that he is the leader of this group of people is he's the one who sets the fire alarm off in order to actually get everybody to that pen. And then, you know, when... Um, what is it? It's Child who comes along with the the flamethrower and he says, you know, get yeah. your ass over here and everything. So you, you can tell instantly he is the leader of this group of people. Um, so he you know, he establishes himself very, very quickly as you know, the leader. He's the one who's going to get people through this as best he can. Um, yeah, it is just the and the creature itself is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the, the effects all the way through just blow me away, even today. It's it's so damn good.
0: And breathe. Good, good point yeah. Josh. <laughs> no that's great that's a good point actually with the uh what he's talking about it establishing its territory because mm-hmm. it, it's funny actually because if you think if they didn't kennel it it would have probably just carried on and would have you know eventually either escaped or mm-hmm. taken over things but ultimately when it was put into that kennel and obviously surrounded by the other dogs who which obviously instantly um started barking and growling at it that mm-hmm. yeah, and obviously then it had to defend itself and then obviously you know, became its true form. now that's the that's the only thing that, that sort of triggered it really. Well, it
3: it did get one person before that. Yeah. Or well, uh, at yeah. least we're led to believe that it did because it, it went well, into who mm-hmm. we don't know. They did a really good job with never informing yeah. the audience um when yeah. any of the people were taken over, uh except Actually, for one
4: there's yeah there's something with that where um it's not actually the shadow of any of the actors they got a no. crew hand to mm-hmm. pose in front of the light for that so you couldn't actually match it to anyone
1: yeah i mean yeah, i just... i personally took it i always thought it was palmer because obviously later on in the film they mm. find out that palmer is infected and you can see the shadow of the person does have curly hair like palmer yeah. does so yeah. so i always took it to be palmer um and then, so, later on, as I said, you, yeah. you discover that he is infected, so infected, yeah, um, it could, yeah, could be yeah, because I, yeah. I feel like the, this creature is one of those where it is so easy for people to get affected, and what, one thing I love, and it is an extraordinarily subtle touch, but it 's one that i I picked up on is um, when they um, I think it's just after they kill the creature when it, it before it finished absorbing the dogs and they're examining it is uh blair the i think it's blair the he's the scientist guy and he's got yeah. a um, a pencil that's got i think it's like a rubber on it yeah and it's very subtle, but you see that he actually touches the rubber up against the creature and then mm. when he's just wandering around and actually thinking out loud, he just sort of swishes the pencil around and then touches it on his lips so there's a, it's an oh, extremely ah. thing really, Blink and you'll miss it, but I personally feel that's how he becomes infected because yeah, he touched yeah. he touched the creature with his pencil and then proceeded to actually touch it on his lips. So that mm. I I feel yeah. that's all it took for him to get infected. Ah, yeah, a, yeah, oh, that's
0: a good point. I did
4: not notice that. That's
0: not very cool. Mind. Yeah, no. What I meant was with going back to the dog is, is mm. the fact that that's sort of where it it, it obviously it becomes antagonised and then. Ha- you know, really reveal itself. Whereas, obviously, if it had, if it hadn't been kennelled, it could probably it could have probably gone about its business quite quietly, sort of one by mm-hmm. one, yeah, start yeah. infecting them. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, sorry, that's mm-hmm. what I was trying to make point of. Um Yeah, so if we actually go into the actual law and breakdown of the uh, the creature itself, because it, there's so much, there's a lot of background on it for something that mm-hmm. doesn't have really any background, <laughs> because mm-hmm. obviously yeah, you don't really know its background, truly, there's not much on it. It's, you know, the fact it's called The Thing, you know, mm-hmm. summarizes that. But, mm. you know, there is a lot of um, information that you can draw from, you know, the comics, the books, and from, you know, both of the main films. Um, so, you know, uh, as the viewer, we don't know where it's come from. We don't know which planet it's from. All we know is it's an extraterrestrial, and that's it. You And I think what the I've read, if comparing the original novella to the films is that obviously in the films you don't truly know what its original appearance was you know we are mm-hmm. you know it's an amalgamation of all the things you know that it could have infected and assimilated mm-hmm. over the hundreds of thousands of, of years and or millennium it, we, you know we don't truly know that whereas i think from what i've heard that in the novella it's actually got a predefined uh, appearance is that right
3: Mm, sort of. They hint yeah. that it's it's a four foot tall humanoid with three red eyes mm. and um, like tentacly wormy blue hair. But even in the novel, uh, when they're describing the creature, the um, expeditionary uh, members think that. That form may have been the original form of like the the spaceship creators. Oh, and okay. it had, yeah, it yeah. had yeah. maybe used that because it had arms and legs and was yeah, able to know. um manipulate easier uh the the technology to build what whatever it needed to, to do. Um, okay. We don't even know if that's specifically its ship um even even in um in this arc incarnation, it could have just you know been hitching a ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's what makes it truly terrifying. You don't know where it's come from. There's no, you know, they're com- they're completely lost. They, they, you know, even though they're scientists, and obviously they do uh, discover such things that it simulates and clones. Uh, you know, what it comes into contact with, and obviously find out some of its weaknesses and and obviously strengths. It's mm. you know from a from a story and you know from a thematic point of view it could be whatever it wants to be so you know yeah. so the people so when you know you can imagine what a field day they would have had when they're actually trying to film it they yeah. it can be anything <laughs> it wants to be yeah, yeah. person yeah any mm. complete free reign with that mm. which then obviously has come across you know that, that's why when you're watching it especially in especially in the original the the i i must admit in the prequel, I was a bit disappointed that you almost saw a bit too much of it, I think you could whereas mm-hmm. in the first, because of how dark it is, it's a very deliberately dark film at times, you don't often gauge A, the true size of it, and B, what it's actual individual parts, because like you said, especially with the first scene you see it, in regards to when the dog transforms, you, you know, you've got tentacles, you've got like a, a petal sprout that comes out of it, you've got... <laughs> You know, you've got just guts and gore. You've got insect legs. You've got, you know, you've got literally—it's anything. It's sort of—it's something out of you'd see it, would, like these days, over like Resident Evil and such like. It's sort of that where it just <laughs> properly mm. just transforms. You've got eyes in places mm-hmm. that don't need eyes. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it, I mean, if you actually—I was reading some of the, you know, the, the 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 actual physical parts of it that you know it doesn't. As far as I, people have concluded, it doesn't. Really need the conventional senses. It doesn't need eyes. It doesn't need a mouth. Technically, even though it does seem to, you know, have one. In you know, as we see later with when it bites the hands off, <laughs> off uh, But you know, ultimately, like I said, it, can, it doesn't have to rely on conventional things. It, you know, we don't even know if it needs to breathe. We, you know, we presume it mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. may have something, but it, you know, we don't know that for certain. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that it its main purpose and only real purpose that you really see is to survive. It's a purely, you know, uh, creature that's devoted to protecting itself. And then obviously to, uh, you know, infect people and, and continue on. Mm. I think it gets said in the prequel, it's, it's like a virus, um, mm-hmm. which again, makes it even more deadly in its own way. Um, mm. but I think the fact that, that you can even break it down, which I, I saw that, that, there 's a theory that the larger versions of it um are more intelligent than the smaller versions because um, mm-hmm. the well actually if I back up a bit because in regard to versions what we you find throughout the the films is they they're actually the parts are individual aren 't they where you know the the creature is not just one creature if the if a, if a part of it is you know cut off like you know the, the head falls off or you know whatever mm-hmm. it becomes its own individual creature. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's another thing. Yeah, it literally, mm. it's, it's, it's a scary position, and you know, which I, I which I, I found interesting in because I think it brings the science aspect of these films makes it even more terrifying. It's the fact mm-hmm. and more interesting. It's not just an alien that comes along and just copies people. It's the fact that it has to con- you know come into contact. It simulates mm. them. It has to break them down. Mm. Um, And then I I think one of the the bits I found particularly interesting, which you see, again, more in the prequel, is that it references the fact that you, um, it can't simulate, or sorry, it can't create um, non-organic parts. Yeah, it's organic only, yeah. Yeah, so you know, so which we see in the mm-hmm. film is the metal teeth uh, fillings, where you know it can't. Yeah. I think it's also Carter's gold golden uh, earring at, later in the film as well mm-hmm. that becomes part of it. And again, I think that's fascinating. I know it, you don't really know the purpose for that. You know, that's obviously just a way of obviously differentiating people. Um, mm. But I'll ask you guys what you sort of thinking about it in general from a scientific point of view. Dave, what's your thoughts on it all?
3: Mm, we also get uh, from the, the original novella an aspect that isn't uh, brought up in the films was the original creature uh, was telepathic, at least to oh, a, a degree. Okay. Um, and that's mm. what enabled it to like perfectly mimic people. Was mm. it, it had read oh. their minds and absorbed mm-hmm. all of it. Uh, so it could pass um, with every little quirk, every little... Um, Oddity, anything that you could um, lead to someone else identifying you know, isn't there. There's like, there's like mm-hmm. literally no way to to realize that it's different than mm. the original, um, aside mm-hmm. from uh, performing, you know, a specific test, uh, uh, which mm. which they do um, in the in the film. Um, it's the same uh, blood test they do in the in the novella, um, mm-hmm. although there's a little bit more science um, involved because they tried this blood serum test. Um, or initially, mm. um, yeah, no, the science behind it is like really neat. And, uh, the, the book definitely, the the author, um, doubles down on that and, and uh-huh. makes some parts of the novel. It's, I guess the way that Lovecraft goes into sometimes needless, uh, adject- adjectives and detail yeah. on, on things, <laughs> yeah. um, uh-huh. it's done in yeah. a similar manner, but with science, So Mm -hmm. a lot of space in the book is devoted to um, discussing particulars of metals and um, Mm -hmm. uh, meteorology and the weather. And I mean, it's very neat, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. It it, it pads the book where it doesn't need to be padded as much. Um, But because you're given that level of detail, he, he does that same service in describing... Um, just the nature of, you know, this creature and that, yes, when the pieces are split from the original, uh, I mean, if, if you could ever say that there's an original, um, each piece <laughs> yeah. is utterly independent and selfish. So mm-hmm. the, yeah. um, the, when someone is taken over, uh, they're Perfectly willing to, um, whether they know it or not, um, sacrifice any of the other things um, mm-hmm. for their own survival because they don't yeah, care. Yeah. They're their own yeah. creature, so yeah, mm-hmm. they'll sacrifice the other ones and and lead you to believe that oh they're human or whatever too because they pointed out that the other oh that it's it must be him and then they'll kill it, um, but really they're <laughs> you know one of them uh, the entire time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely a survival of the fittest uh, aspect to them, but mm-hmm. but you actually also see the opposite prequel where they will actually sometimes there's almost a scene later where there's a, a hide and conquer tactic uh, in regards to where the, I think I can't remember which character is one of the Norwegian guys where he his arms come off and his arms start turning in you know so they almost distract him and starts infecting one of the crew while the main body starts transforming and causing problems so they you know it's even willing to, to sort of go together and I think at one point later in the prequel as well there's a scene where two, of the two of the hands little you know they look like, almost like face huggers uh, <laughs> where they, they join together you know they then immediately get burnt but um, it, you know it actually shows that uh, that they're willing to almost, you know almost gang together as well you know it sort of is best interest isn't it really whether it's Mm -hmm. by themselves or as a collective. It's it's a fascinating um, thing because it it also shows that regarding how the complexity of the creature is the fact that it's still got a very base instinct, isn't it really? It's, you know, survive at all costs, even to the detriment of the same creatures as you, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. really interesting thing to do. Mm. Um, But, you know, I think that's what makes it a fascinating um, you know, creature in that regard. Um, You Ooh. know, the cells are there to actually protect themselves at mm-hmm. the time. And they, like I said, what I said earlier regarding the the, the creatures, because like I said, there is a theory that the smaller versions, either one like that's a head of someone or a hand or something, that they they don't have the same intelligence as the larger versions of the thing, where they're you know almost human size. What I think the theory is that like when in the original film, when McCready does that blood test with, you know, where the Petri dish and putting the, the heated um, metal in there, that because the blood is obviously what it at, is at its most basic. That's why it just naturally will just jump. Whereas the human version of the thing will, you know, be more calculating and, and, you know, as inherited the, the, um the character itself. I know obviously you don't really about the, uh, where the, the mind reading side of things, the telepathic yeah. side, but, mm. you know, you, you know, it's obviously alluded to that they inherit what, you know, what they assimilate from a, from a mind point of view. So yeah, mm. there's, you know, that's another interesting aspect as well. You know, yeah. I, I mean, what yeah. do you think on that? I mean, Cameron, what do you, do you think that that's a solid theory that the, <laughs> the, the, the little <laughs> ones are not that intelligent, big ones are?
4: Um, yeah, it's an interesting idea and I can see how it would work because, you know, it's, all technically the same kind of cell banding together to make an imitation organism. Uh, I've got I've got a personal favourite theory which I've heard before, which is um if someone if someone is a thing they've been assimilated and you know it's a perfect assimilator it makes an exact copy of the person that acts and walks and talks like them. Uh, you don't actually know you're a thing until something happens that sets you off. Ah, that's so uh. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the thing with, um uh, I forget his name, but um, the man with the heart defect who they have to use the defibrillator on. Uh, Norris, yeah. Yeah, Norris. Like, it copied him perfectly down to a heart defect, which killed it. Yeah. And at that point, <laughs> yeah. it went back to, well, I'm not pretending to be a living organism anymore. I'll go back to the basic thing of survive and assimilate more matter. But because it was Norris before, it didn't know it was a thing. It didn't know it could do anything like this, and nothing set it off. No one attacked him. No one, you know, tried to do, like, major harm to him or anything. <laughs> you know, he ended up dying on, of his own accord with a heart attack in the middle of nowhere. Yeah.
0: So I suppose there's that theory as well with the... You could apply that to um, you know when they're tied up in Petri blood tests. Um, yeah. Again, is it Palmer? That I think that they were- yeah, it's Palmer. Yeah, Palmer. So obviously, they, you know, the blood jumps, and then he starts... Transforming his face mm. splits over such like. So, do you think that's? Do you think that's the same sort of theory where that he's, you know, he's now realised that? Hang on, I'm a creature. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not Man, Palmer. Oh wait,
4: no, I'm not Palmer. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to get out of. here yeah. somehow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting theory, actually. Yeah, that's. I I think that's quite quite. Yeah, I, I, who knows? That could, that could actually apply to probably quite a few of the situations because I suppose ultimately mm. trying. The thing is trying to be a person the best thing the yeah. best way to be a person is to not to think but, like that person and therefore yeah. not think like a creature <laughs> therefore, yeah. yeah convince the you know it's, it is actually the character like i said until something reminds it that it is the creature then yeah that's actually a good mm. good that's an interesting theory actually um mm. yeah i mean josh what's your thoughts on that theory the theory where i said the the creature doesn't know when it's the actual person. It's only when something triggers it, it makes it realize it's the creature and then it transforms into true self.
1: Yeah. I'd say there's there's definitely a valid point um, because obviously, especially in isolated situations like this, where a group of people live together um, and, you know, they don't see anybody else. They're bound to get to know everyone else's Id- little idiosyncrasies. So, yeah. that means that if somebody has been infected or, you know, somebody has been taken over by the creature, that creature then has to perfectly replicate that person in terms of attitude, because the slightest little thing, it doesn't fit in with that person's character will then actually constitute suspicion. Um, And, you know, that will actually then mean that everyone else surrounding that particular person will start to distrust them and that sort of stuff. So I'd say that, um, I'd point to a uh, scene where they're doing the blood test later on in the film uh, hmm. where Palmer is perfectly fine when he's tied yeah. to the couch, but then when they actually they do the test and you, know, you see this thing come out of the blood because obviously it's detected that it's under threat. So now Palmer has, like the creature inside him, has stopped being dormant and has come to life because yeah. it's, it's detected that it needs to defend itself. Yeah. And that is ultimately... It's like say if you were to compare this to say, for example, Alien and the Xenomorph. The Xenomorph is it's a killing machine. It's just that's what it is. It's what it's bred to do. It just is bred to just eradicate everything that's in its way. Whereas the creature in this is more stealthy, um, and I firmly believe that when it actually perfectly mimics its host, is it wants to use that host as kind of like a vessel to travel to other places with other populations. And so it doesn't want to do anything sort of too erratic to draw attention to itself until the moment is right where it can strike. So it is, it's got a kind of a social stealth element to it where it is just biding its time. Um, And then when the time is right, it will make itself known. But yeah, this is definitely um, quite an interesting theory and one that they do kind of sort of play around with in the film slightly, because obviously the whole point of the blood test is to prove who is infected and who isn't infected. So they would mm-hmm. need a kind of a physical characteristic to define an infected person from a non-infected person. Um, and I feel like they, they play on that very well. So when the thing comes out, the blood and then he, who you know, he's been perfectly fine and he's been accusing everybody else of being infected when it's <laughs> actually him. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's one of the most, you know, it's one of the most sort of accusatory characters. Um, turns out to be the one who's actually infected. So you do kind of get a thing, Going through your mind of, whoa, okay. So he was adamant that this person was infected and that person was infected, but it turns out he actually was. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it just
0: it's it's fantastic how they they're able to play around with that. Yeah, definitely is. And also, I suppose you could argue as well the fact that it's potentially been around for an eternity. We you know, so we don't know true how no long mm-hmm. thousand years, but it could even you know before that. It must to have. The fact that it's potentially assimilated you know, an unknown amount of creatures from whether mm-hmm. it's our planet or any other planet. It's obviously clearly good at what it does, and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably a, an inbuilt feature of it potentially as well. That it wouldn't have survived this long at doing what it does mm-hmm. if it wasn't capable of doing things like even the fact where it almost tricks itself into mm-hmm. thinking it's a, you know who it is simulating. Yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting theory, actually.
1: Yeah, and I'd also say that. There are sort of certain parts of it that are more intelligent than others, but then you've also got again, so you're pointing to aliens, so you've got the, the actual xenomorph, but then you've got the facehuggers. Even something like mm. uh, Half Life with the head crabs, you yeah. know, these the, sort of these alien creatures typically have smaller versions of themselves that have very basic but very specific purposes, yeah. and then you've got the the bigger, more evolved ones that have a greater sense of intelligence and can actually sort of manipulate themselves or or whatever. Um yeah, and just to to touch on what Dave mentioned earlier about the uh, them being telepathic in the actual the novel, is I think they do kind of imply that slightly. Um just with the way that um like I said earlier, about the, the idiosyncrasies is when you you see something out of character. I mean obviously that's nothing to do with telepathy or anything, but I think that is kind of it's a step down from it, but it is a way that they try to translate it in a way that is not, because obviously telepathy is just, it it can only really be done in a very specific way to make it obvious. That's what it is. So I feel like they, they maybe took that concept and re concept and reworked it into the whole paranoia element of everything um, slightly. Maybe that's just me reading too much into it, but yeah.
0: So that's that's a fair point because ultimately it's though they've got very little to go on at that Mm. point when the paranoia really kicks in. So I suppose ultimately it's the little things they're looking out for. And like I said, you see it in the prequel when the Kate, the main character, she notices that Carter's gold earring was, you know, he's got it earlier and then it's missing towards the end of the film. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, when she talks about it, he gestures to the wrong ear and then she realizes Mm -hmm. he's, et cetera. So, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be those little things because they've got limited, well limited science of some sort whilst they are in the camp that they have only they got you know little time they're trying to work out what the hell's going on so mm. um, you know so they've got only those little things the fact mm. that they're being you know one they're sabotaging themselves that sort mm. of thing you know it all plays into it so um, there's also a theory as well that, uh, that I read as well that the the creature is a bio, is a biological weapon in mm-hmm. the sense that who yeah, they, they, it's got a creator of some sort. Who knows wherever that and that you know they've been this creature and potentially many more, you know, cast out on you know spaceships to find, you know, planets to basically assimilate them. You know, it's sort of mm. uh, you know, which is you know, sort of a bit of a bit like the Borg in Star Trek. Yeah. to go out and just take over things. Again, that. Yeah, I mean, again, we've got nothing to disprove it. Um, mm, yeah. but you know, that's yeah. a, you know another possibility as well. Mm. And that that kind of speaks to what Wayland yutani
1: could have done if they were able to harness the xenomorph and actually mm. make it a bio- biological weapon, as they yeah. could send it off to different colonies and actually eradicate other people. So it kind of takes that concept and offers up something that you could say is you know that is a viable outcome to that situation. So
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we you see it more like Prometheus and an alien covenant um, mm. that that that's you know the biological weapon is a is a much more focus than than the original film so yeah it's it's a very very plausible thing to happen i mean you get again you, you see it in the main flight like where the, against the science kicks in there's that part where blair is using the, the computer to you know basically f- get some stats on what could potentially happen where there's a 75 percent team member being mm-hmm. being the creature and <laughs> yeah and it's very specific that says it's there's 27,000 hours to take to affect the whole world which yeah. i think ends up being so many a couple of years i think that is i think i've done the math but i think it yeah. ends up being about a couple of years yeah. so i mean that's a scary prospect but again it just shows it just show that you know in such a small isolated area where there's only literally a couple you know a few people that this could blow up into mm. you know into you know world you know domination yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. and and they take that and they it's
1: made slightly overt in the film, but with him um, sabotaging any means of their escape and sabotaging their communication units and everything just speaks to the fact that he's come to the realization that because they're so isolated, if he cuts off all communications, they are, it is just this team. So Mm -hmm. if they are all taken over by the creature, then the creature will then try and get somewhere else and will hopefully freeze in its journey to getting to, wherever it decides to go to yeah. um so it kind of like it stops there um so you know you kind of although they they restrain him and everything you do kind of you are on his side cause you're thinking well that is like the best options that like, you just have to accept that nobody's going to make it out of this alive <laughs> so if you could just try and get by as best you can but put an end to what this creature could do there and then then you know just and that like i said it is quite overt, the way that it's told but it's i still enjoyed it nonetheless it is really good
0: <laughs> so absolutely yeah, it's yeah it's he's it, on a lot of apparently it's on the isolation but and and just the sheer terror of what they're dealing with and yeah it, actually talking of the what you're saying about it, it freezing and such like the there's actually it's its strengths and weaknesses are quite prominent aren't they in the sense that you've got where obviously it's very strong or resistant to the cold because obviously it's been frozen you know it's been self cryo (laughs) frozen Mm -hmm. thousand years um you know which obviously it can tolerate yet it's extremely weak to fire which obviously is a very again a very prominent weapon that they use throughout um to burn it because i think it basically i think they sort of uh I think it's assumed that he just burns it on a molecular level and just literally just, you know, absolutely disintegrates it or, or, mm-hmm. it, or explosions, you know, where it literally just tears it completely apart. Um, it, I did see, I think it's the comic. I don't know. I don't know if it's, but I think it's the comic where it supposedly, I, it alludes to the fact that it's the, one of the best ways of dealing with it is electric shocks. I don't know. If, mm. Dave, is that something you may know? about? Uh,
3: yeah. And that's <laughs> what they used in the, um, the original novel was right. they mm-hmm. found that electricity yeah. had the best chance of destroying, like, all the parts. Fire didn't necessarily work, and as you see in the um, the movie, too, uh, mm. they they utterly, they thought, burned, you know, one of the corpses, but it, it still came back because part of it didn't get completely burned.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah. Mm. Mm. But the electricity would travel to every part of the
0: body. mm hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so so is that the is that the sort of the reason for it that it just because it will travel to all parts of the body, it will literally just disintegrate it. Is that the what sort of the angle they were going for?
3: I think so. Um they I think they just kind of hand wave it um in, in the in the book that <laughs> that is the the way to destroy it um is through electricity. But they torch yeah. it too. I think they just do <laughs> like everything to <just> overkill. <laughs> um yeah. because they can't afford you know, a single piece, like, um, yeah. like you just said, they, it could be in the food. I mean, like there's, there's no description specifically on how, what the smallest amount, um, necessary to, to, you know, take over somebody is, mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't afford to risk that, so, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. and just the try to annihilate testing- it.
4: Yeah, and then the test scene. Um, when Macready drops the dish of blood, you see like individual droplets of blood are just running away.
1: Yeah, mm,
4: yeah. <laughs> like really small parts can do pretty big things
3: with this thing. I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was actually in the in the book. Um, it spread far because the the expedition force was way larger. And, um, it doesn't give a real sense of time passing. Like it doesn't give you like a timetable, but in the book, the creature was able to infect, um, it was like seven, they had 70 sled dogs. Um, and oh, so cows okay. and a few mm-hmm. other things that it got to within Oof. the matter of maybe a day. Uh, mm-hmm. also originally, I mean, they had the scene in the, in the kennel with the with dogs and the dogs were, uh, the other dogs were able to attack it, but it turns out that the dogs that bit it um may have been infected like immediately because that just ingesting, you know, parts of it or the blood yeah. or anything was enough to transform mm. them. Mm. Oof. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty rough <laughs> In the book. They had to like <laughs> burn seventy dogs, or I think I'd like mm-hmm. to keep them to because they were all things.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so if you if you thought the dog scene in the film was bad, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah. Yeah.
3: wisely he just like talks. Well, so like cool. he just mentioned that it happened. Um, <laughs> but there, yeah, there's some crazy bits like the uh, they figure out that it was the cows, and so the I think it's the cook or one of the guys just starts like vomiting because he. He's like, I just milked those cows. (laughs) (laughs) Very recently. And he's like, is the milk just a thing too? But um, somehow it
2: wasn't. (laughs) Uh, Since
3: it mimics something like so perfectly, uh, the milk itself was just actual cow milk.
4: Yeah, well, it's not alive. It is just
3: milk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be weird. (laughs) 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 But... Yeah, so it, it gets into that in in the book as far as like the detail on what this what you know what could be created. Also, there was a um, where did I put it? Um, there's a they made a podcast out of it, um, and a Canadian author uh, in I think 2010. What did I do with this note? Um, Well, anyway, there's a guy that wrote a short story, um, in the first person view of the thing from the original novella. Yes, I read uh, that. It, uh, talks about how it wasn't, um, uh, malevolent. Like Mm -hmm. it, it was just trying to increase like communication ability to the, yeah. you know, the people that it came across yeah. for the you know this and, planet. It's just like I'm just trying to help you guys, you know, understand one another, one another better. Why is everyone <laughs> trying to murder yeah. me?
4: <laughs> and that, yeah, that was really interesting too because the thing in that talks about how what it does, so this constant shape changing and like imitation is the norm for life throughout the universe, and when it realizes that humans don't shape change, it freaks out.
2: Ah, like it's amazing. there
4: during the blood test and it's like huh now they'll see that they're all shape changes just like me they are just forgotten for some reason and then mccready does his blood and nothing happens and it goes what <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow that's interesting <laughs> like, I don't right?
4: it. Yeah. yeah and it's mm-hmm. also talks about how it's um when it infects someone it's not actually in control of them in that short story at least like it they're definitely a thing but it's just mm. walking around of its own volition like the thing isn't controlling it, and it's really confused as to why and it also calls them empty skins it's like there's no life or thought in them at all and it doesn't understand how they function as living beings because they're talking to each other and they're communicating but they shouldn't be able to because there's no thought and then it realizes that we have a centralized nervous system instead of a spread out nervous system and it's like oh god these things are like Walking, talking cancer because all the soul, or the thought is in one lump of meat in this oversized, swollen thing on top of the body. <laughs> it's really oh, wow. an interesting point of view. <laughs>
0: hmm. Cool, interesting.
4: Yeah, that was really great. I really enjoyed that short story.
0: <laughs> what's what's the name of it? Uh, the thing. Just a sec. The things. things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay.
3: But it's also, they, they put it into a podcast that we'll, I'll, I'll try to track down and put in the, the show notes because it's um, an yeah. audio version, I guess.
4: Mm. Mm. It won a, f- it won a f- couple of awards and got a lot of nominations.
1: Looks like huh. I didn't even yeah. know this was, no, it's, this it's existed. Quite well yeah, I heard yeah.
3: yeah. Well, that's yeah. why we do this. We're, we're <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had
1: no, I didn't even know there was a comic to be honest. So shows how much of an expert I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be one now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: true. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're, just, we're just filling in the mini, mini missing pieces. That's all we're doing. We're just making you well-rounded. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, just continuing with the uh, the science. There's um, another thing we need to touch upon is the fact that when it comes to assimilating the, the host, it, it has to do it to basically live or freshly dead uh, mm-hmm. organisms because they they sort of, you know people have sort of realized that it doesn't really work if if it's immediately dead because like for example the there's the i think it's um, in that scene that we spoke about earlier regarding norris when he's getting the, the def- defibrillator done on him Ooh, and mm-hmm. then uh, obviously the monster kicks in and oh it's uh, so good that piece that amazing that's, it, that's my favourite scene. scene of the whole film it's fantastic where yeah. he's doing the the uh, fib on him and and obviously the, the torso turns into a big big uh, big jaw doesn't it a big big yeah yeah, and, yeah, it just yeah. Bites, <laughs> and it literally just bites uh, mm. both the is it what's the game? Is it? game is it no it's not Blair is it it's, uh, no it's Copper um, but, Copper, yeah. Copper. Yeah, yeah, so he gets both his hands and and part of his forearms bitten off, and then obviously just (laughs) that terrified look at his and then Mm. collapses. But then, like I said, when they do the blood test on him a bit later, it it, it turns out negative. So it shows that it doesn't get time, you know, I think obviously that because he bled out so quickly. And and mm-hmm. he didn't get a chance to to assimilate him. So yeah, so it shows that, it ha- that you know there has to be a you know some sort of life in it for it to, uh, to you know to take real effect. So mm-hmm. that's another interesting mm-hmm. thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's it. Is there any other science? <laughs> I know we turned it into a bit of, a, a bit of things, oh. but <laughs> I think there's any any other well, science. I mean, it takes time
3: to. Uh, to, um, infect something, but Mm. that time can be, like, very quickly, um, as when Mm -hmm. it, uh, I don't know, I forgot the guy, but when they're doing the blood test and it bites, um, the one dude. Windows? (laughs) (laughs) Windows. Yeah, it bites Windows in in the head and then he's infected, like, like that. Yeah. 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 But then you 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 also get
1: the you get the impression that, um, Blair's thing was kind of slightly drawn out because, I mean, I would say that the film goes on, what would you say, about two, maybe three days in terms of the actual yeah. timeline? Yeah, I'd say so. so yeah. yeah, so Windows, because he was in such direct contact with them, I and mean, he was lifted up by the creature, whereas um, because Blair had such a, a subtle exposure to it, I think it's it took its time to actually... Uh, work its way through his system. So that's why when they, they've locked him out in the, the tool shed and everything, he's kind of, he's had time for it to just, I don't know, take him over bit by bit. Um, so I think it can be, depending on the level of exposure, increases or decreases how quickly it takes to actually infect you or take you over. Um, it's never explicitly stated, but that's that was what I took from it.
0: Yeah, because so. actually talking about Blair, I just thought going back to that theory where we said that it, the creature doesn't know it's the creature when it's, when it's taken over a person. If you think that Blair escapes um, by digging out underneath the hut and then obviously he started building a, an escape uh, vehicle, hasn't mm-hmm. he? He's just been mm-hmm. putting bits together. Now, going on that theory... is he actually trying to escape because he knows he's the creature and therefore to infect more people? Or is he trying to escape because he's he's still Blair in his head and is just trying to get away? I'd say it's more because he's infected.
1: Um, Because if you think when he went a bit sort of mad earlier in the film and he destroyed (laughs) all the equipment, I think that's, that's when he was still him And he, yeah, yeah, he had actually come to the realization that he needed to be the cutoff point for him and everyone else. So I think him actually, because uh, what he's been building is essentially a spaceship as well. So it is kind of like a a replica of the ship that the original creature came down to in in the first place. So I think at that point is kind of it's infected his brain. So he is making a way for him to escape. That is a replica of what it came down on initially. So I think that would be the turning point, and where he is now actually infected. And it's it's hinted at, but it's never ex- explicitly said. And I feel that's the point when you see what it is he's made, and then that's when you think, oh, okay, so he has actually been taken over by yeah. this thing. So yeah, yeah, hmm.
0: yeah. Just thought I'd raise it as a point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. I think sort of thing wrapping this up now regarding the actual creature's look, because because like I said, going back to earlier, we saw him in many different films, and and like I said, the mm-hmm. practical effects are well mm-hmm. on point, aren't they? Really, they're just oh, yeah. absolutely fantastic. So, going starting with uh, Dave, what's your favourite? version of the creature. It's like, uh, you know, to look at, you know, from an aesthetic. <laughs>
3: My favorite to look What's at. your um,
0: favorite?
3: Uh, I don't want to look at any of them, really. <laughs> they're, they're oh, so more, I do. I do. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the first time we really see it in the, in the kennel, uh, mm-hmm. is yeah. the iconic version. I mean, we have the giant Blair, thing uh, at the uh, the climax of the film but mm-hmm. due to like the lighting and you don't really see it it's huge no. um, but mm-hmm. it's like in the dark corner and then it gets blown up with a stick of dynamite so um, I guess what's given the most screen presence um, is the, the dog thing um, yeah I don't know I, and the fact that it's exhibiting like five or six different other traits at the same time <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. you're getting the best uh shot of what it's capable of um at that time uh also it was just horribly like I forgot that it sprays like digestive juices uh, yeah. Yeah. at the dogs yeah. to to absorb yeah. mm-hmm. them um yep but that i had i just watched well not i guess that recently but i watched harbinger mm-hmm. down um that that movie like bothers me on. A couple other levels, just how they, how they deal with stuff in that. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's um, yet, no. it's a little mm-hmm. juicier, I guess, than um, this is. Mm. Um, and it, it deal with a lot of the same thing where people get sprayed with slime Acid. and it's just, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, I think that, I guess that, I guess I did get a, a slight trauma from um, watching The Fly at far too young of an age and uh, <laughs> Brundle Fly puking on things to dissolve them. I, I just have a, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe that. And I yeah. still watch Robocop and the dude gets like hit with acid. I, yeah, I, I don't get along with melting people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the bit with the dog was... Ugh. yeah.
0: That's They've let it all out. is
3: Better oh, guys. Oh, <laughs> 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 How
0: about you, Cameron? What's your favourite incarnation? Um,
4: I, I have two favourite forms of the Thing, oh, and uh, these are these are quite the polar opposites. My f- my first choice is uh dog menacing, uh, yeah. because like <laughs> like I said earlier, that is such a well built part of the film it's incredibly tense and it, yes. it is the thing it counts mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just a very very spooky dog and um my second favorite version of the thing is keith david because mm-hmm. charles is a very handsome man and acted very well uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and i really like the ending of the film him and macready and you know kind of trying. People try and piece together if one of them's a thing or not, and I always go back on Charles is wearing different clothes, and his breath doesn 't seem to fog up very much
1: in the cold mm-hmm. yeah, um, how about yourself josh See now, I do love seeing all these things. I absolutely lap it right up <laughs> um, so for me personally, my favorite incarnation of it is um, when they're trying to revive uh, Norris. And when, oh, yes. it, uh, yeah. when his head comes off and then his head actually has a tendril thing that gets itself yes. to safety and then sprouts like spider legs yes. and um, eyes for it to see out. And then it, it uses its mouth and everything. It's just that is just it's incredible um, because <laughs> it, it's so just dope. so sneaky as well. And the, the way that <laughs> they, they burnt the initial thing that's come out of his body. But then you just mm. hear this sort of tip tap on the floor as this thing's actually trying to get out the doorway behind them all, and they've all got their backs facing it. And then they just they hear this noise and they turn around and then they burn that one as well. And that is just so good, so <laughs> yeah, good.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and I, I would all yeah, it's it's so good. I'd also say that I've seen because because I'm quite the the metal head when it comes to music. I've seen quite a lot of bands actually use this part of the film as sort of uh, things for their t-shirts. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so i've seen i've seen bands using the actual the spider head thing and i've seen them <laughs> use the uh uh the thing where like that second head has come out of norris and whatnot mm. um i've seen yeah i've seen them use that on their t-shirts and stuff so you can see that the, this film is so influential to the point where yeah bands that have you know very long names and sort of horrible horrible song Titles are actually using this imagery to convey the kind of point that they want to make as their mm. band. So, you know, it's just, I love all that stuff. It just, I, I, I think I'm, just, I'm a thing. I've got a thing for the darker side of life, guys. It's just, this is, <laughs> it's, it's coming this, through. <laughs> it's, it's, it's less of a therapy session and more just in the middle that I would give to absolutely anybody who's willing to listen. I, just, I love all this stuff. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I lap it up.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um, my favourite one is going to be a bit controversial because it, mine's actually out of the prequel, and I'm surprised I'm saying that because I I don't really particularly rate the one in the in the prequel. I think it's I prefer the one in the original. But I must admit the one that I find the most interesting is the version where it's one of the Norwegian fellas with the with the beard where he's it's he's just transformed. It's one where he loses his arms and he transforms mm-hmm. in front of him, and so he's basically op- almost on the torso facing up and the head's facing back down backwards mm-hmm. yeah and I know he then mm-hmm. and then he starts absorbing and mm-hmm. the the face of the the american guy on the floor i just think mm-hmm. that's so creepy i the, the, mm-hmm. the double face thing i mean it's 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 great it's great to watch it's like in that mm-hmm. sort of quite sadistic way of watching it mm-hmm. but i think the fact that when he's when you can see his face like literally gluing to the face of the i, I mm-hmm. yeah that I just think is fantastic, and mm. like I said, I think that's the saving grace of the thing in the prequel. Because like I said I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like the thing in the prequel. I think the mm. you in a weird way you see too much of it. Mm. I think the fact that you it's very dark and slightly like mysterious in some ways in the original one, and also mm. the practical effects are fantastic. Yeah. But I think this the the, ver- the newer version of the thing is not as good. He does look a bit more like a like I said a Resident Evil enemy of some sort. <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, it looks a bit like a liquor. Yeah, I, it. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. So I'd say
1: the, the CGI um, from the prequel is definitely detrimental to to the film. And yeah. it, is such, it is such a shame because it was originally practical effects. And then when they took it to the, the producers of the film and they said, no, we want you to scrap all the practical stuff and do it with CGI, um, um. which... You know i mean that's that says a lot about producers interfering with things that they yeah. shouldn't be interfering with True. because part of what makes this film so good is the practical effects yeah you know i mean it's, it, if ever it comes up in conversation, the practical effects are always one of the first talking points so oh. to to actually sort of go against that because obviously the whole point of the prequel was it was originally going to be a remake. And then they Mm. luckily these people actually had sense to realize that not every film needs a bloody remake. (laughs) (laughs) Not every single horror film needs to be remade. So they actually had the sense to go back and tell the prequel, which, which is fine. You know, I, I totally on board with that idea and, you know, they wanted to keep it as, authentic and experienced as possible. So they decided to do it with practical effects again, on board with it, 110%. Then you take it to the producers and they said, Nope, we want it CGI. And then that makes the film so much worse. In my opinion. I mean, I've only Mm -hmm. seen that film once. Whereas when I watched this one last night, this was what the 14th time I'd seen this film. So, you know, so 14 Mm -hmm. times compared to once, you know, that's, there's got to say something. There's, there's not that much, um, in the prequel, worth watching aside from perhaps establishing context for things that you see in this film. Other than that, because otherwise, I can I can happily watch films over and over again that use practical effects because it's just it's a wonder to see them actually do what they did. You know, I mean, Jaws. As you say, what you want about the way that the shark looks in this day and age, but mm. for the time, it is stunning. And when when you see Jaws do its thing, it is incredible to watch, even to this day. So there's so much to be said for practical effects and then to actively deny that and say, Nope, we want CGI well why? Because you're you're now having to really delay the film's release and you're putting these people on the spot because they didn't have that much time to actually do the CGI, which means they've had to do a rush job of it, so it makes it look even worse anyway. <laughs> so I don't understand why we couldn't have just kept it as a practical effects because that would give me a reason to just keep watching it and watching it and watching it. That's part of the reason why I enjoy watching this one, apart from the the performances and the music and the sense of isolation. It's the practical effects, because they look yeah. so damn good. Yeah. So it's just such a shame because it could have been something special, yeah, but due to things that you know were beyond their control, it's now a film that
0: I'm not too keen on really. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's a bit of a letdown, wasn't it? It's, it? it's It has a purpose, which we'll go on to in a second regarding the ending, but I think it's almost, mm. you watch it to get to the end, to then link the two films together. I think I find the, the, the prequel quite boring. And, mm-hmm. you know, overall, it's just, it, it, this is, it's a slow burner, like the original film, but it then doesn't make up for it. it. It slow burns and then just rushes, like where a load of them just die and get get assimilated really quickly. And then you see the bit with the, the alien craft. And then mm-hmm. it turns into a bit like Alien itself, where she's creeping around. And then you get to the the good bit, which is where you see the, the two films linked together. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a small opportunity um yeah dave and cameron what do you what do you two think on the on the prequels as a whole uh
3: yeah it was fine if they had just done the practical effects um but again i think like josh said i, I literally i saw it in the theater and that was it <laughs> i didn't watch it again yeah. um i don't know i mean does it deserve another watch i don't i don't think it does
0: no. <laughs> no. Unfortunately.
3: No. Um, no. I, I also don't think it was super necessary simply because we see um, in the beginning they, they do a good job of showing what probably had occurred um, at, the, uh, at the Norwegian um, station it, within the movie itself. And we know going into it that there's only two survivors, so it's kind of a wash. Uh, you mm-hmm. can't really feel mm. too much um, through any of the characters because you know they're probably all going to just be dead.
1: Yeah, true.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, I have not seen it. Uh, I will oh. at some point, but I'm not in any rush. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing original is quite good enough for me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: It, yeah, It's it's worth seeing just to tie it all together. Yeah, it's a terrible yeah. film. It's just like David alluded to. It. It's just it's just disappointing with the with the CGI and the fact yeah. that there's no real. You, in the first, in the original film, you care about the characters. You get, you know, like we touched upon earlier with the, them chasing the dog. You, you immediately emotionally with it, with with the prequel. You just don't give a crap about any of them, really. It, they really don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame, <laughs> but yeah. You know, like I said, it, the good thing is about the film uh, at the end is where it links. It links into the original film, um, yeah. where you see how the helicopter, them chasing the dog, you know, sort of plays into it, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, that's about
1: yeah.
0: it, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of
1: many prequel films that are A, good, and B, truly necessary. I'm looking at you, Star Wars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's like stuff like Texas Chainsaw Mask at the beginning. You know, we don't need that. It's just because... Trouble is, is you're trying to make something that is as good as the original um, to try and keep the same standard. But you also know that because the original was able to just do its own thing and tell its own story is your kind of your hands are kind of tied going into the project because you know that ultimately people have to die or something has to happen because otherwise it doesn't fit in with the continuity of it. So you know that you've basically got to kind of rush through a certain set of things and then make sure that you cover all bases, tick all the boxes to make sure that everything is covered to set up context for the sequel. So mm. to a certain extent, there is there isn't necessarily a point. I'd say maybe just watch it once just so you could say you've seen it maybe, but I I can't really think of any other reason apart from that to truly recommend watching it like i said unless you haven't seen it already so just that's probably the only recommendation i could give it and that that's a that's a shame because this the thing is one of my favorite films of all time and i really wanted the prequel to be of such a high standard you know, to meet the actual the thing itself so yeah, to realize that it's not <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so <laughs> for it to just be so lackluster when it, especially as you know, that they did originally use practical effects. So they had the sensibility there. It was just, they got stiff by the producers. And I feel like that is the most detrimental element here is Mm. the, the producers just completely did them over. And I feel like if the producers just took a step back and didn't get involved, then this would be an entirely different conversation. So it is such a shame, but it didn't, Surprise me, but it was just a kind of oh, well, that's a shame. But Mm -hmm. you know, but then also at the same time, trying to stand up against something as good as this, you know, I mean, those are some big shoes to fill, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it was kind of doomed from the outset, I suppose. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, if you want to watch a good, at least practical effects wise, um, creature feature, uh, do check out Harbinger Down and Mm -hmm. on. The other side of the coin, if you want to watch the uh, Antarctic um, suspicion uh, side, uh, there's a film called Whiteout, which was uh, really good. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I cool. guess uh, we're we're coming close on time, if not a little bit over. Um, yeah. Josh, uh, could you give us a little bit of a rundown on the video game? Uh, yeah. I, I played it you know, some 15 mm. years ago, so I'm a little mm-hmm. rusty, but if you've played it a little bit more recently...
1: Uh, yeah, I've never actually finished the game. I've only got probably maximum four hours in. Um, but what's quite interesting is the fact that you've got... This is essentially a trilogy because you've got 1982 film and then you've got the prequel. And the the game is from the perspective of the rescue team that I referenced in the 1982 film. So where yeah. that film ends... You come in as the rescue team, so i can 't actually speak to how the story in the game pans out because, like i said i haven 't actually finished it, um, mm. but so that is the setup for the game is you come in as the rescue team, um, you go through you see parts of the base that were destroyed in the film, um, and you come across the the tape recorder that uh, McCready leaves his sort of final. Uh, log on basically uh, you find that so there's a kind of a, ni- a nice little tie to the, the film there um it's it's got its gamey elements because obviously because it is a game it needs to have these these elements to it so you do have different enemy types and you've got little kind of um very small enemies that are kind of like your head crabs and half-life um and then you've got the bigger enemies that you have to kind of shoot them to get their health down and then finish them off with a flamethrower and that's the only way you can kill them is with fire Um, Mm. I don't uh, and then I think they were these really really big enemies that I think take ages to kill Um, but I've never actually encountered one because I haven't got that far in the game Mm. Um, but it does also play with the paranoia element as well so you've got you meet up with different people as you go along and you have to actually do a blood test in front of them for them to trust you enough to come along with you um and then again you've got different people who are the engineers and people who are medics and stuff so you've got you need to keep in mind how your team is doing as well because obviously if your medic goes then you're going to be in a bit of a pinch if you haven't really got many health items um and sort of if they see something that sort of sends them a bit mad you need to take them away from that area and maybe give them some ammo or a gun or something just to kind of calm them down um (laughs) And it's, it's quite funny because the way that that's represented in the game is you have this menu mm. system, and it shows the characters. Um, and when when they're sort of they're really losing it, they look kind of like a, just a bobblehead sort of thing. <laughs> Their heads are sort of going <laughs> going all over the place, and it, it's a bit silly, but it it serves its purpose for the the vibe that they're trying to make. Um, so I I do intend to actually play it all the way through, but from what I've played, it's. It's not too bad. Obviously, it's a PS2 game and an original Xbox game, so it's not going to have aged well at all. (laughs) Um, But it's got some interesting systems in there, and it was, to my knowledge, one of the first times I saw kind of like a sort of a sanity system in a game. It was that and sort of Eternal Darkness around about that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Call of Cthulhu game on the original Xbox and PC as well, that had one. So it was around about that time where I started to see sort of sanity systems in made present in games really and that handled it in a way that was sort of not too cumbersome um but enough to actually sort of feed into um what the theme of the film was going for and what they're trying to sort of take that forward into the game um so i mean i wouldn't necessarily say it's worth a playthrough now because obviously because it's so old it's you know (laughs) you gotta have like the right system for it but maybe just like watching a playthrough on youtube of just some of it to just try and get a, a vibe for it um, but it's it's quite interesting to note that this is technically a trilogy, but either bookend of it isn't too good, and it's mainly just the actual the, the main bulk of it is that's where the good stuff is, and then you've got the bookends that are all right, so you know passable, serviceable, but not really is worth recommending as the main chunk of it. If you see what I mean, but yeah, it's mm. it's not too bad, really. It's all right. Cool.
0: Yeah, I was just looking. You can get it on the PC as well so oh can you oh i didn't yeah yeah i was just looking now so yeah if you could see it was meant for windows 2000 and xp so you can get (laughs) it. yeah good luck with that that. (laughs) yeah so that's another way of potentially playing it if you don't have the older consoles Mm. cool okay right um yeah i think that wraps up that part of things nicely um Mm -hmm. we got I think we got some listener feedback, did not we? Didn't oh, we, we did. Uh, let's not ignore yeah. that. Um, no,
3: no. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to put in the notes, so I will just, I'll just read all of them. Um, yeah, okay. um,
0: I've got, like I've, got one, I've got one, I've got one of, i got Mike Zombies one here. Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead to, and do that one, I'll and, do, and I'll, one. I'll read. Uh, you find the uh, Stevens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So this first bit of feedback, zombie security on time mike uh he puts can i send things see what i did there oh he's a a legend already in a bit off topic um there's an arctic themed monster story that i really enjoy and would love to share the terror by dan simmons is a fictionalized account of the doomed franklin expedition to find the northwest passage back in 1940 sorry In the book, the sailors not only have to deal with uh, freezing cold and starvation, but there is also a mysterious creature in the snowy wastes that is stalking the crew. From the glimpses the crew gets of the beast, it appears to be an enormous polar bear with an elongated neck. As the story progresses, the men grow more afraid and desperate, as the beast seems to be uninjured by gunshots and too wily to be trapped or hunted. Right, and this is end book spoilers, so you're all warned now. (laughs) <laughs> uh, near the ending of the book there is in fact an Inuit demon uh, called the Tunbak uh, your mm-hmm. guess on pronunciation is as good as uh, probably no worse than what I just did um, the monster was created as a living between Inuit gods it was then banished to the frozen wastes where it holds total dominion the only ones able to soothe the uh, Tunbak uh, are certain Inuit shamans who dedicate themselves to worshipping the monster and who give up their tongues to it as a sign of devotion. It's an unstoppable killing machine that can't be outsmarted or outrun, and it makes freezing to death in the Arctic seem so much nicer in comparison. Anyway, I know it's nothing to do with the thing, but when I think of ice, icy cold and vicious monsters, the turn back always comes to mind. Excellent. That's a good mm, bit yeah. of uh, interesting. Cool. I did actually, because when I read that, I did... the the terror i'm really intrigued to read it it's like, because i want to listen to the audiobook a bit but it's really difficult to get hold of over here because it seems to be only in german and my oh. german is definitely not scratched to read, to, <laughs> and, it's, and it's about nine this book as well so yeah it's like i said if you can get a hold i mean the paperback seems to be okay to get a hold of but audiobook seems to be a bit trouble but yeah that sounds like I'm, i've not read it myself but that sounds really interesting i really want to give that one a go um yeah. so. Yeah. Nice. There we go. Sounds Thank good. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Thank Zombie. You.
3: Uh, and then here's our, our comment we got in from Old Man Dark Souls at Steps Uh The Thing is one of the greatest horror thrillers ever made, and this is because of two aspects. One, the characters are all likable in their own way. None of them have incredibly deep backgrounds or are particularly tragic. Uh, instead, they're just real dudes doing the best they can against this force. And two, the monster is 99% practical on set effects. This will always, always be the mark of a truly good monster movie. Uh, (laughs) The only way in which the film hasn't aged well is when we see the stop motion near the end. Also, Mm -hmm. my favorite scene is either the autopsy or the blood test. Both begin so quietly and then escalate to an insane level of terror and a Lovecraftian hilarity at the insanity of the situation. Yeah, yeah, I think we, mm-hmm. we covered uh, those bits um, throughout <laughs> yeah. our talk and we had one one more. I think it was just a short one. Where is it? Oh, it's from our boy E B place. So it's from Eric. <laughs> Eric. Um, yeah, nice. the scene where the chest opens up and eats a dude's hands is terrifying <laughs> to me. <laughs> so it's <was> short, <laughs> succinct and point. Um, yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, yeah. And then I know um, Stephen is uh, in the process of or have has finished uh, reading the novella, so um, mm-hmm. I guess we're getting people to read some old some old books now.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's that's yeah. the good thing about what we do because it introduces things that you may not be aware of. Like you know, I find it fascinating. What, like what not just watching the films, but also being able to read the books or read the comics if they're available and like. So it introduces never seen, about, you know, like, like Josh was saying, this is one of your favorite films all the time, but yep. you may not have read the comics, you know, you think, Oh, yeah. that will be something you want to, you know, when you've got the time to, that's really, you know, something that will be, you'd find interesting. Mm. Yeah, cool. definitely. And just to, just to quickly speak to um,
1: Stephen's point as well about the the blood test scene is that scene is deliberately like it's silent you know you can't yeah. hear anything aside from the wind that's blowing outside and the sort of the gas coming through on the flamethrower and it makes for such a tense scene because it just it is perfectly isolated and silent and you know you're absolutely focused <clears throat> on that on what is currently happening and it, even when I watched it last night it just yep got me again like it mm. always does it's so good so good it's John Carpenter at his absolute best. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Cool. Right. Um, well, I think before we just quickly wrap things up, is any any last thing to say on the Anything at all? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. That, it's a good. We, film. Just all, we just all love it. That's the that's summary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So damn good. <laughs> well, I mean,
1: if. if if you were to take this podcast and you, do, you were to do a drinking game based on how many times we have said the word thing in this <laughs> in a specific episode, oh, it. you will realize that that film is so perfectly named because that's exactly what it is. It, it, yeah. it is a thing. And the frequency of which we have said that word speaks to that perfectly. So that's, that's all I'm going to leave it at now. <laughs>
0: exactly. And we've been able to talk for a couple of hours on something, thing, shows. Yep, yeah. how
1: good it is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Right, okay. Let's uh, wrap it up. Um, Dave, where can people find you on Twitter? I am on
3: um, Twitter at sentienot underscore plus. Have fun trying to spell that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard this vicious rumor it may be... You know, yeah, might be in the notes <laughs> maybe, maybe <also. laughs> Dang it!
3: How,
4: how about you Cameron uh, you can find me also on Twitter I'm at night underscore twitten uh, that's night without a k and come and talk to me I love chatting
0: he likes a bit of that chatting right <laughs> here we go and lastly Josh where can people find you what do, you do? Uh, you can find me on Twitter
1: at Morbid Beard. Uh, you can also find me, I do a um video game podcast called Dark Insight. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Dark Insight uh, Pod on Twitter. Uh, so you come over there, we're on iTunes and I think Stitcher and every um podcast app or, or whatever. <laughs> so we just chat about um games. I believe we've had all three of you gentlemen on the show now at least yep. once, yeah, yep. 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 so yeah so we're all kind of like this you know extended family so yeah just <laughs> come come and find us and give us a listen so yeah
0: excellent well go. thanks very much josh for having for joining us on this one absolute pleasure having you. your yeah. having your, problem. your passion on here for the third problem thing thank you thank you very across. much for inviting me yeah
1: this <laughs> yep i i just hope i've done you
0: guys proud because oh, i absolutely adore this one. so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah excellent Love you. Um, thank you kindly cool. And, uh, yeah, you can find myself on Twitter, like these, at Ninja Badger 7 number seven. And I said, guys, if you can ever want to give us any feedback on any uh, future topics or things we've covered, always feel free to do so. Uh, Anytime you wanted to give an iTunes review, always greatly appreciated. Um, And with that, that was another episode of Monster, Monster. Thank you very much.
2: Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, guys. bye